0: Have you ever had a season in your life that was just, all you could do is characterize it as a season of waiting? Have you ever had one of those? I mean, you walk through some sort of difficulty or maybe you're sitting in it even today, you've just been waiting on something for a long, long time. Those are not fun seasons, are they? They're difficult seasons. In fact, most of us today are probably not going to leave the service to go and try and find a restaurant as long as we can find the place that we can be the last people seated, that's what we're going to look for, right? Or I just hope everyone gets their food before we do. That's, as long as we can go there, that's where I want to go, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to wait at restaurants or at the doctor's office. Or here's, here's one of the worst ones, right? You're, you're sitting behind a car at a red light. The red light turns green and the car doesn't go. And it takes all of your holiness within you to not just, because it's, I mean, it would be a righteous move. They need to go, right? That's the thought process, to not just lay on your horn for them to go. So you just kind of go, please go. I'm just going to beep at you instead. You just beep, right? Or if you're on the freeway and you're, you're in the you're passing lane and the car in front of you is going 50 and you're, oh, dear Lord, you know, it's these waiting moments that drive us crazy. Waiting is not fun. Waiting stinks. It stinks. In fact, many of you are sitting here today in the middle of a waiting season. You've been in it for a long time. Maybe you've been single for your whole life. And you've prayed, Lord, I want a spouse. You know the desire of my heart. Would you provide me a spouse, somebody to love? And it's been a difficult season. It's been a hard thing for you to walk out because that hasn't happened. Or maybe you're married today. And maybe for you, you've just wanted a child, and yet God has not given you that cry of your heart. That's mine and my wife's story. I'll tell you a little bit more in a minute. Maybe you're unemployed, and you just cannot seem to find the perfect job, or any job for that matter. Or maybe you actually have a job, but you want a different one. Or you're tired of your job, and you just need a vacation. Or you're at the end of your career, and you just can't wait to retire. Lord, when will the day come when I can be retired right maybe you've walked through sicknesses and illness and you're just hoping something would change or maybe financially you've just been in a struggle that you keep thinking god when is it going to change when is something going to happen when's something going to come our way and provide a change for us we've been waiting god we've been waiting waiting is is not fun when i think about mine and my wife's story i think about a few things i think about our engagement I was working at a church in uh, Fayetteville, and we were going to have a year-long engagement. And that is, that's about a year too long, by the way, in my opinion. But, um, <clears throat> not, not, not necessarily, but we, we had a, um, it, was, it just was a long time. And I remember making a, a poster board with 365 little boxes that I could mark off until I could marry the most beautiful woman in the world. True story. And that was a long year. And I think I made it worse by counting... Every single day. But I just remember that being such a long season of waiting. I remember, um, you know, it took me a long time, uh, a 25-year journey to finish a degree. And I just remember for so so many of those years, just this looming guilt over my head, like, you're not finished. You're not finished. You didn't do it. You didn't get it done, you know. And now I'm working on two more. It felt so good to finish that. But without question, the hardest season of our life, the hardest season of waiting for us without, uh, without even trying to think too hard is the season of infertility that we walked through. We had been married for 12 years before we had our first child. I remember the first couple of years were so difficult because we would hope, maybe, maybe now, maybe this month, we would hope and then we would be disappointed. First couple of years, two or three years was that just over and over again. And by about year four, the next four years was just frustration. Why not us, God? Are are, are we not the kind of people that you think we ought to have a a child? And then you start saying things, like you start rationalizing in your own brain. Oh, so so all these 14 to 15-year-old girls that are having babies, they can have babies, but we can't. You start asking those questions. You find... Yourself beginning to get bitter at the waiting, and I remember the last two or three years, they were the toughest because we walked through a medical journey like guinea pigs, and it was it was devastatingly difficult. Lori hates needles. She, I mean, she hates needles. Had to give her a shot every single day. It was a difficult season. I'll never forget one of the greatest days of my life when we had some friends over, a couple over at our house who were in our dining room. I can remember it like it's yesterday. We had a phone call. It's the clinic. It's the clinic. And so we took our little cell phone. I remember all four of us huddled together. You remember that? Listening to the lady say, hey, we just want to let you know you're pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Over 11 years of waiting and hoping and believing, God, is is it possible? And they told us we were pregnant. Listen, those 11 years were so difficult. Once we waited 11 years, then we had nine months to wait, right, (laughs) on this little baby girl. What's she going to be like? What's she going to look like? I can't wait. God, it seems like our lives are so full of waiting. Reality is every one of us in this place this morning, probably in some way or another, is in some season of waiting for something, right? Right? But the good news is we're, we're not in a, a bad company. There's a lot of people who've come through Scripture who've gone through seasons of waiting, just like we do. Let me remind you of a few. Noah, did he have to wait any? A little bit. What about Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah? Did they have to wait any? Oh, they waited. <laughs> they waited. Sometimes we, you wait so long that things that God says you just laugh at because it's been so long. <laughs> right, God? That's what they did. They'd waited so long. Uh, What about Moses? You have to wait forty days on this side of the Exodus. Forty days on forty years. I'm sorry, on this side, forty years on this side of the Exodus. God's uh, word to Moses is pretty much just wait, wait until I'm you're ready for what I have for you. What about um, Jacob? He waited on his wife. Then he got the wrong one. Remember that? And so then he had to wait another seven years to get the right one, and he waited and he worked. What about Joseph? what a difficult road Joseph faced and walked. Every single turn, he's going through something so difficult and yet he's trusting that God has a plan in the middle of the waiting, right? And at the end of kind of his story, he's able to look back and go, oh, okay. That made sense. What about David? Anointed king is a child, and yet he spends a majority of his uh, young adult life running from that, the king at the time because he's fearing his life. He's running for his life for years and years until he actually becomes king. He had to wait. You go into the New Testament, we think about stories like Mary and Martha. I love the story of Mary and Martha and their, their brother Lazarus. They were very close to Jesus, very close to Jesus, so when Lazarus gets sick, They send word to to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Come on. Jesus, come on. He's sick. We know that you heal people. We know that you love Lazarus. Two and two equals four. Let's go. Let's do this. Come heal Lazarus. And yet we see in Scripture Jesus doesn't rush to Lazarus' sickness or healing. Instead, Jesus even sort of steps back. He stays put. Jesus waits, and he causes Mary and Martha to wait. And ultimately what happens? Lazarus dies. A similar story happens in in the Bible with a man by the name of Jairus. His daughter was very sick. I have two daughters. And you know how it is when your kids are sick. You would take that sickness in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? If you could just take it on yourself, you would do it and not even think twice. So you put yourself in the place of Jairus and you're thinking, if I just, my baby's sick. Oh, Jesus, Jesus can heal my child. So, so I'm going to go find Jesus, and he rushes to find Jesus. He gets to Jesus. Jesus, my daughter's sick. Would you please come to my home? Would you please heal my daughter? And Jesus agrees. Yeah, I'll come. And so they begin to make their way to Jairus' house, and he all of a sudden he begins to fill with hope. Okay, Jesus is with me, and I know he heals people. And then as they're making their way, something strange happens. Jesus stops. And there's all these people around Jesus, and he just stops, and he looks around and says, hey, Who touched me? And the disciples say, wait, what are you talking about? There's tons of people around you. We're all touching you. He said, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. It's a special, I felt power go from me. It was the woman with the issue of blood, if you remember that story. She had struggled and she had waited for 12 years. And if she just thought, if I can just touch his robe, if I can just get close enough to the healer, I can just touch him, he'll heal me. And he did. But the problem is Jairus was waiting. Okay, that's great. I, I'm glad she has her healing, but Jesus, let's go, please. And while he's trying to get Jesus to move along, somebody comes up and says, Jairus, it's too late. She's gone. She's gone. And you can just imagine as, as a father of the mother going, Wait, I, I should have come earlier. I, I, I should have moved him along quicker. I, this is my fault. And yet I just, see it. I just see Jesus in this story coming up to Jairus in a busy town. And he, he slips his arm around Jairus and says, hey, it's never too late for me. It's never too late for me. Let's go. And he goes to Jairus's home and he goes up to her room. He says, oh, she's just sleeping. And he uses language like a father would use with a child. He says, Honey, wake up. Baby, wake up. And she wakes up. And then he says, I bet you're hungry, aren't you? (laughs) Isn't that good? Just like a father. He never doubted. And Jesus raised this child from the dead. In the same way, he's with Mary and Martha. And I can just see him slipping up with Martha as they're walking towards the tomb. Martha, it's never too late for me. It's okay. It's never too late for me. And yet he, he calls Lazarus forth, and then they celebrate. The thing is so interesting about Mary and Martha is, see, they knew Jesus to be a healing uh, God. They knew him to be a healing uh, Savior. They knew that. They had watched him heal tons of people. They had never seen him raise someone from the dead. Never. And so the point is this, sometimes in our waiting, God is holding back because he wants to show you something new about himself. And it's hard because you don't understand, but he's going to die and then all of a sudden he dies and you go, oh, okay, well, now what? And he says, it's never too late for me. What have you been waiting on in your life? What what in your heart and your story have you just been hopeless in, you've been longing for something to change, something to give, and it hadn't happened, you're in good company. You're in company with the nation of Israel because they longed for a Savior. They longed for this Messiah that had been promised to them. If you take your Bible and you look at the last page of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, and you look at the first page of the book of Matthew, you literally it's hard to see in these two pages, but what's represented between those two pages is 400 years of silence. God had spoken through prophets. He had been present, there had been miracles, and then yet right here in this this little spot in our Bible, 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New. No word, no miracle, no prophecy, no prophet, silence until the cry rings out of a baby boy, right? The cry rings out and breaks the silence and God begins to speak again to his people. This is the first Sunday of Advent. I'm excited for the next several Sundays we'll be in this new series called The Journey of Hope and we'll be talking about themes that go along with Christmas, but you can't look at the story of Advent, you can't look at the season of Advent and the story of Christmas without thinking about a season of waiting, a season of longing. Louis Giglio in the little book that we've been reading through here in this season says this. It says, Christmas is about waiting and hoping in God. If we're willing to ask him, God will give us the grace to slow the pace and he'll help us remember how loved we are and how faithful he is. If we wait expectantly for him, God will lift our eyes and draw us near. He'll remind us that waiting is not wasting when we're waiting on the Lord. I want to say that again. Waiting is not wasting when we're waiting on the Lord. Waiting is not wasting when we're waiting on the Lord. 400 years. Can you just go there? Can you try and wrap your brain around 400 years with me? How difficult this would be. 400 years is the same as a million to me. It's like I can't even hardly... Imagine, right, our country is held, what, 250, not even probably, and, and yet people came to our country in the 1600s, so 300-something, uh, almost 400, you know, but our lives are so removed from those pioneers, from those first people to our country who, who, who come in from, from the other world. They're, they're so far, remo- we're so far removed, we can't even make sense of it. It's so long ago, and that's the same way that the the Jews were. They're going, 400 years ago, God did some things. 400 years ago, there were some miracles. 400 years ago, God spoke to his people, but then they're asking the question that many of us are asking, which is this. Did that really happen? I mean, was he really speaking? Did he really move? Did he really do those things? Was he really there? Was God even really ever there? You can imagine this 400 years of Jews trying to hold on to their heritage, trying to hold on to the stories that have been told generation after generation. And yet 400 years is a long time. But listen, add another 300 plus years on top of that. 700 plus years before the birth of Christ were prophecies of Jesus. I want to look at a couple of them. This is uh, Isaiah seven fourteen says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 plus years before Jesus' birth. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Over 700 years before Jesus is born, we have these prophecies. In Micah, in the fifth chapter, it says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. In Hosea, it says the prophecy that, you know. You remember when Mary and Joseph, Joseph receives uh, from the Lord that, that Herod is on a, a tirade. He's going to kill all baby boys from two years and younger in Bethlehem. And so they escape in the middle of the night to Egypt. And yet we have a prophecy in Hosea where it says, my fa- the father says, I'm going to call my son forth from Egypt. So we have all these prophecies, all these promises that Jesus is going to be the Messiah, that he's coming. And yet when you begin to read the story of Christmas, it's almost like nobody knows it. Like nobody's ready. Almost. Almost nobody's ready. So you get the sense even as... Mary and Joseph are, are, are trying to find their way. They need a place to give birth to this baby. And they can't even find a room, and so they have to find a dingy cave or dingy stable, dirty. This is the place where the Savior of the world will be born. We do see a couple of stories I want to bring to your attention, though. A couple of stories of a couple of people who, uh, who are ready. I love him. In uh, Luke chapter 2, there's a story of a man by the name of Simeon. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Simeon is this old man. And the Lord had told Simeon, you will not die before seeing uh, the Savior. Before you die, you're going to get to put your eyes on the Savior of the world. The Lord had promised him that. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus in for the Jewish uh, custom, circumcision, on the eighth day. And they bring him to Simeon. And Simeon holds the baby And the Holy Spirit tells Simeon, this is the Savior, right? I'll read what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now I can die, right? According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Isn't that beautiful? Simon was ready, he was waiting. All these years he had waited to see God move and bring the Messiah and hold the Messiah and see the salvation of the world and yet in this moment he gets to. There's another story of a group of guys and they are the most intriguing group of people to me in the Christmas story, I love these guys. They're the wise men, right? In fact, I'll just give you a little bit of personal information here. Yours truly performed in a presentation here at the church Many, many years ago, I remember coming out of this door back here in my bathrobe, dressed as one of the wise men. I'm sure it was an amazing performance. Temple, I don't know if you remember that or not. But, um, so, you know, bathrobe, and uh, I was one of the wise men. Anyway, I love these guys because there's so much intrigue, there's so much mystery around who they are. It's an incredible study. If you, if you begin to study their story, we don't know a whole lot about them. But it's an amazing story. A lot of people think that they are um, Jews left over from the exile in Babylon. A lot of theologians think they're actual Jews who had the word of God. They knew the prophecies. uh, They they saw the miracles of God in, in Babylon. And so they were watching and waiting for the coming Messiah. Or they were not Jews, but they saw the miracles of this great God in Babylon. And they said, Whoever that is, we want to be on his side, and so let's wait and watch for the prophecies. Even in Daniel 2, there's a prophecy that that a a kingdom will be established and and never end. And so there's a sense that they're watching and waiting. They're ready. And can you just wrap your brain around this for a moment? Looking into the night sky for hundreds of years, that means generation after generation, hey, we watch for something, (laughs) And I don't know all the details. We're, we're going to watch for something. You know, there, uh, astrologists uh, or astronomers, I guess. I don't know. I'm not, yeah. They say that, you know, they can kind of do a reverse deal and watch how planets move and they can kind of, in a way, put it in a system and back it up. And one of the thoughts is that around 6 BC, uh, the moon and the sun and Saturn and all these different things came together to, to, to form one star. They call it the Bethlehem Star. I don't know. But at the very least, we have to acknowledge the fact that God did something amazing and this group of people was ready. They were watching. They were waiting. They come to Bethlehem. You know, we, we have nativity scenes that show wise men and the baby and the cows, and that's probably not what happened. Because, you know, it would have taken them eight or nine months to travel from far east to where Jesus was. So when they get to Bethlehem, Jesus was probably nine months to two years old when they come to bring their gifts. But the fact that they were ready and then they come and they offer this uh, procession and these wonderful gifts to Jesus, they're ready, they're waiting. Uh, We don't have a whole lot of information about Jesus years growing up. We see this uh, um, story in Luke 2 and Matthew, we see the genealogy of Jesus showing the Jewish people, who, who he is, who he's come from. We don't have a lot of information or details about Jesus' youth. And what's interesting is we do have this great announcement, right? So Jesus is, is born in a manger, and then an angel goes to some shepherds <laughs> to let them know, hey, Messiah's been born. And then it says the skies open up, right, with an angelic choir, to sing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all men. So it's a pretty big announcement, right, at least to the countryside. It's a pretty big deal. Then there's a procession of, of wise men from the east coming and worshiping and bringing these great gifts. At least for a season, Jesus was a big deal. But then we see his childhood or what we have of his childhood, and all of a sudden it just looks like he's just a normal kid in the neighborhood. He's not really raised as Messiah. He's not really raised with fanfare and in a palace. He's raised like all the other kids. It's very interesting to me. Scripture says, and they knew him not. They didn't esteem him as Messiah. So we go from um, this amazing scene of his birth to somehow he becomes like every other child until he's Uh, The Lord brings him forth as Messiah in his ministry. The word Advent means arrival. That's what it literally means. It means arrival. And as we wait, you know, every year I love Christmas. I love going anywhere and there's Christmas music playing. and I just love the season of Christmas. And you know what I love so much? I love my kids getting so excited. And now listen, they may not be excited about the most perfect things. I get it, you know. They may be excited about the plastic thing they think they're going to get from wherever or whoever. But there's something in their hearts and in their souls that we ought to get a little bit ourselves. And that's anticipation, excitement. And I just love the way that, that even in our children we can see maybe a little bit of what the Jews might have felt. This, this anticipation, this, this joy, this hope, this longing. If nothing else, when we look at the Christmas season, you can't acknowledge Advent and not experience waiting. And so just for a few moments here, I want to close our message and talk about waiting because it's not an easy thing to do. Like I said, the season of our waiting was maybe the hardest season we've ever faced as human beings, especially as a couple. So I want, to, I want us just to look a little bit at this, this process of waiting. Here's the first note on your card this morning. It says, God is rarely early, <coughs> but he's never late. God is rarely early, but he's never late. I, I got familiar with an old gospel song. I don't know if you like gospel music, but I, I like it a lot. And uh, there's an old gospel song. I might have to bring Larry up to sing it with me, but it, it says, uh, He's an on time, God. Yes, He is. You know that song? He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. I love gospel music, and I love this story because he doesn't come when we want him to come. He comes when he comes. He comes when he's ready. The thing about God the thing that we have to be confident in in these seasons of waiting is that there's a reason. There's a reason, there's a purpose in seasons of waiting and we have to know that he's in control. I wanna say that a few times because I want it to sink into your soul. There's a purpose in seasons of waiting and he's in control. There's a purpose in seasons of waiting and he's in control. So what do we have to do? We have to trust. We have to trust that there's a purpose. God's in control Right, he knows what he's doing. Let's look at Galatians four, verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Try and wrap your brain around this for a moment. Our God is eternal, he's timeless, right? He's always yet on time in our world of time. His sovereignty is always perfectly present. His mercy and his grace is precisely placed somehow in our space-time continu- continuum. I, don't, I can't figure it out. I like to think of it like this. The God of the universe, the word says that God breathed the planets into place. That he spoke the stars into place. That the earth is his footstool. So yet this glorious and grand God somehow confines his power, confines his glory, confines all of who he is to come and walk with Adam and Eve on this planet that was his footstool. I can't wrap my brain around it. But I want you to look at that verse, Galatians 4.4. 4, but when the fullness of time had come, right? What does that speak to you? What that says to me is there are times that God is operating within now it's not our time it's his time but he's on time right it's his time I can't make sense of it I can't uh give you like in you know uh in God's time it's this much of our time it doesn't work like that it doesn't work like that acts uh 1 7 says this he said to them this is Jesus speaking it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. This is when Jesus is speaking to the disciples; He's just about to be ascended into heaven, and the disciples, in their brilliance, are like, "God, uh, Jesus, is this the time that you're going to set up your kingdom in Jerusalem?" And you just see Jesus kind of going, "No, um, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority." I want you to look at that verse as informational, okay? Can we look at that? Look at it again. What this is saying is that the Father has seasons and times that he fixes by his authority. He's in control, right? He's omniscient. That word just means that he knows everything that's been, everything that is, and he knows everything that will be. We have to trust In the middle of the waiting, we have to trust. Here's something that's good in the middle of the waiting to know, he's aware of our needs. He knows what you need, even in the middle of this moment of, God, do you see what's going on? Do you you see the difficulty? Listen, he knows your needs. Jesus said in Matthew 6, eight, your father knows your needs even before you ask them. It's in that verse, in that chapter that Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he says, hey, before you even pray, He knows your needs because he's in control. Hebrews four sixteen. Then let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That means with confidence come before the Lord and trust His timing in His help. At the perfect time, in your need, He'll come through. He always does. So what do we do in seasons of waiting? What's what's our role? What do we do? What's our job? Here's a few things on your card this morning I wanted you to be aware of. These are the things we do. We pray. We say, Lord, would you help me to trust you that you're in control and that you know my needs and that there's a purpose in waiting? We pray. Lord, teach me this truth. We listen for God's voice. We watch for God's hand. I think about the Magi. I think about the wise men watching and ready now, I'm not asking you to get a big telescope, right, and go home and set it up and try it. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am asking you to do is this. Tomorrow morning when you get to work, could you look at it over, over your work or the people you work with and say, Hey, God, what do you want me to be to these people today? Would you prepare my heart to speak your truth if you give me an opportunity? Would you give me a chance to pray for some people? Would you help your presence come through me to be a loving presence for these people I'm with? at our family functions over Christmas, God, would you help me to be your peace in this situation and these people? We have to watch, we have to listen, because God will move and he will use us if we'll be ready when we wait. We have to learn to be content. That's a, a, a hard one. But the longer we wait, the longer we wrestle through things in our lives, the more we can become content. The more we, co- we say, God, I don't care about my rights. I don't care about necessarily even what I want. I, whether I have little or I have a lot, I just trust you. That's what we see in Paul's life. The closer we, we draw to Jesus, the closer, the more we know him, we can say, God, you're teaching me and waiting to be content. We hope in the Lord. I love this verse, Romans eight twenty four. I would say if, if there's a, a section of scripture that you ought to take home with you today and put in your back pocket, and chew on over these next few days this is it let's read it together here Romans 8:24 says this for this is hope we were saved for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is not hope at all who hopes for what they already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently when we wait in hope it helps us to be patient when we hope It helps us to wait in patience. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Listen, if your prayers don't even have words anymore, you've been waiting a little while, and you're just weeping, and you're just crying out to God, it's okay because He knows what that means. He knows what every groan translates to in your heart and your soul. Isn't that beautiful? But it's not just the groans. Listen to how beautiful this is. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. He's not just translating groans. He's also listening to the will of the Father. Interceding between the two. Your brokenness and your groaning and your need and your waiting and hope. With the will of the Father. And he says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, listen, this is the truth this morning. In the middle of the waiting, God is working. He's working. Hope in patience because God is at work in you. That's what it says. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We wait in hope. Here's another couple of things we do. We have joy. We have joy in knowing that God is with us. Isn't that good? God is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He goes with us. He walks with us. He loves us. He gives us joy. And then here's the last thing that we do. We endure some of you say, listen, you don't know what I've been facing for a long time. Like, I, I'm, I'm this far from hopeless. Just reminded of Jesus coming up to a few people who felt hopeless and saying, it's never too late for me. Sometimes we have to endure. And so I want to admonish you with a few scriptures this morning quickly for those of us that are at the point of endurance Matthew 24, 13 says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Ephesians 6.13 says, Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, Don't grow weary in doing good. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And James 1 says this: the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial receives a crown sometimes we in our waiting we have to get to the place where we're just we have to endure but we don't do it alone and then lastly this morning part of advent no question as we wrestle through our own issues of waiting and we connect back to a nation who had waited for hundreds and hundreds of years we can't help but think about the fact that we wait yet again for his arrival right right We wait for Christ's return. We believe. He's coming again. Did you know that? The older I get and the more messed up this world goes, I'm just saying, God, come on. I'm ready. I'm so ready. Let's go. I love it. 1 Peter 4.12 reminds us that we are sojourners. We're exiles in this world. This is not our home. Let's not get too comfy, y'all. This isn't our home. Lord Jesus Come, come. Titus 2.13 says, We are waiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This season of Advent is for us to think about how they waited and yet how we wait. We have a few weeks before Christmas. And so we engage this process. Lord, what, what are the things I've had to wait in my life? Maybe there's scars or wounds in your heart of seasons where you had to wait. I know there's some in ours. People who are struggling with infertility are very special to us. And there's a a fine, thin layer over my gratefulness for my two beautiful girls and the wounds that still remain on my soul for 12 years of praying, Lord, would you come? So this morning, whatever you're waiting on, whatever's wounded, From whatever season you've walked through in waiting, we identify with those long before us who've also waited. Can I just encourage you in a few things and then we're going to be done? We trust that He's in control, we trust that there's a purpose in waiting, we trust that He knows our needs. He's working in the waiting. And the good news is he's coming again. Amen? Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, Oh, seasons of waiting are so difficult. They're so difficult, God. Sometimes the season is a month or a few months or a few years, and sometimes it's a lifetime, it seems. And regardless of the length of the wait, you are always faithful and you are always enough in the middle of it. So God, for anyone that can hear my voice this morning that is so weary, that is so worn out, they've just been trying to endure, they've just been trying to hold on, it may be a dream, it may be something broken in their lives, it may be the hope of whatever, God, would you remind them that it's never too late for you? God, would you give them hope and would you remind them that your time is not their time, but you're always on time? And God, would you help us to reframe in our hearts and our souls and our minds maybe even what our wants and desires are. May we take a step back and say, Lord, not what I will, not what I want, but what you will. And what you want. Use my life. Use the brokenness of my story for other people, for your glory. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that's struggling in the waiting, that you would allow some of our people to pray for them, to surround them, to love on them, to encourage them because that's what the body of Christ does. We're your hands and feet, we're your literal hugs. the people in great need. You're at work in us, Lord, even in the middle of the waiting. Give us the faith to trust. Give us the faith to hope. Give us the faith to believe that you're coming again, where you'll make all things new for your glory and our good. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you stand, please, this morning?